Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. We can see a lot of value, especially um, in supplier relationships. Yes. By no means are there any guarantees in the supplier relationship. As we all know, the risk remains with the the, um, the organisation, uh, you know, contracting the work. Yeah. Um, but it's one extra thing you could ask of your supplier to demonstrate that they have that framework um, especially in a high risk area welcome to the grc professional podcast my name is Kwame slusher i'm the editor of the grc professional magazine and today once again we have our managing director naomi burley hi naomi how are you i'm good how are you Kwame? um well not too bad um Today we're going to have a chat with something that happened before the Easter weekend. We're going to talk a bit about the point of view event that we had, um, the first virtual point of view event. Um, and one of the things I think that people really sort of focused on was the new ISO. So could you tell me a bit about what that new ISO is and why it might have been so interesting to our members? Okay, so the ISO standard for compliance frameworks, currently numbered 19600, yep. um, was taken by GRCI as a sponsor with Standards Australia to the to an international standard was previously 3806. Everyone's very familiar with that history. We managed to get it to ISO with international input as um, a very similar kind of structure to the way it was as 3806 with a little bit of a, an evolution to a management standard. It's now going to a standard um, in a suite of standards in the governance uh, suite, they're calling it, mm-hmm. with a number of other pieces in there. Um, but the the key change in this particular revision, because ISO standards are required to be revised every five years in yep. any case, and they require quite intensive input from all participants in the international standards body. Um, and um practitioner input is the most important part they really want to know how it works in practice and make sure it's usable Mm -hmm. um but it will now become a standard that you could have your organization certified against by an independent certifier Um, now these certifiers as it was explained in the um point of view session they aren't licensed by the international standards organization or, or anything like that they just have gone through requisite training to be able to certify. There are a number of standards out there that require certification already, especially around workplace health and safety and things like that. Um, But it becomes another another way of adding value in the compliance framework standard. So I think a lot of people were really interested in that side of it. A lot of questions came up around what the implications were for certification um, at that stage. So that was one of the key differences essentially in the um in the standard a lot of the other bits um are essentially the same the fundamentals of a compliance framework haven't changed they've just been spelt out and articulated very very clearly yeah. australia managed to influence um the grci's ifca representation in actual fact managed to um a, put in a new um diagram because people found the old one one no longer applied to the new standard because the process is slightly different mm-hmm. um and also but we but we feel a visualization for it is really really useful for both explaining it to um uh, first line or your board or senior management about how the framework's going to work in practice um and we also managed to have included some definitions around conduct yeah um 
and a few other key pieces that recognises, like the revised risk standard, that people and culture is a central piece to managing your compliance risk, basically. Right, right. So we have the certification. Um, we have, I guess, something spelt out a bit more explicitly. Um, obviously, having your organization certified is, is kind of a big deal. But I guess the question, I guess, for anybody who might be new to the profession, why is getting your organization certified beneficial? How is that going to help you? What, and what we need to be careful of is, and, and people who get the certification will need to be careful of, the language around the certification will be very, very precise. Yep. It will be around the elements of the framework within the scope just, just described in that framework. Right. So um, the organisation doesn't get a, your, your um, program is fantastic, best in class or anything like that. You actually get, it, it is literally a check. Have you got all these elements as per the standard? Yes, yeah. you do. Um, but the conduct and culture piece will be one that will be still really, really important to making sure it's a live thing. So certification gets you a certain degree of the way. It's a little bit, we think, in anticipating it, especially for a compliance framework, it's a little bit of a third line tool. Yeah. Um, you'll be able to conduct, you'll be able to use it internally for yourself. You can get someone, you can get your internal audit to use this in instead of whatever tool they may be using currently or yep. to combine it with the tool they're using currently. Um, or you may be able to get your external auditors to use this tool. So they know exactly what they're looking for in a compliance framework. Sometimes when you, you when you refresh your external auditor, they may take, um, they may be coming from a financial auditing background or may not have as much experience in, in auditing compliance frameworks. So this will be a really useful tool for them. So from a compliance framework user perspective or architect's perspective, it will be really useful for you to get feedback that is within the exact frameworks that you constructed it in. So they're not sort of coming out of left field with really odd requirements. Yeah. It will all be as you should expect it. From the outside of your organisation, the value to your organisation of having a framework certified, we can see a lot of value, especially... Um, in supplier relationships, yes. by no means are there any guarantees in the supplier relationship. As we all know, the risk remains with the, the, um, the organisation, uh, you know, contracting the work. Yeah. Um, but it's one extra thing you could ask of your supplier to demonstrate that they have that framework, um, especially in a high risk area. So you might risk assess which suppliers you even ask to provide that certification, for instance. Mm -hmm. And we can see a lot of appetite for organisations, especially who might want to enter into new markets, who want to export, who want that um, international translation of a compliance framework as well. Um, so where regulators may vary in their requirements from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, if you want to go into another jurisdiction and work with an organisation, you may be able to build immediate trust by having your framework certified to the international standard, which they will be familiar with as well. So outside of what your regulator requires, they've mm -hmm. got the bare bones and then it might just require tweaking to, to assist it with being compliant with the local regulation. So we can see a lot of commercial benefits for organisations to go to the trouble of getting certified. And beyond those commercial benefits, is there also an opportunity for compliance professionals to be able to use this standard as a kind of selling point for their value to the organisation as well? I think so. You know, it, it gives that commercial angle. 
Um, It gives a common language and, you know, rather than, as we quite often see in these discussions in industry, oh, why would we bother doing X, Y, Z? The regulator never comes across and asks for that or everybody else in the industry is doing it this way. You know, all that stuff that emerged from the Royal Commission where everyone sort of got an accepted practice. This is a completely um, objective uh, set of requirements that are needed as an absolute basic requirement for your compliance framework. So it's very clear. Um, and so it does help to sort of set out the set out the, um, the universal requirements of, of a framework with, with sort of commercial benefits that aren't sort of argued, can be argued against. So yes, I think there's a couple of leverage points. Um, but definitely that commercial acumen can be demonstrated by, um, by showing how it's a value add in organisations to not just have the framework, which has to, you know, obviously the details of your framework in the past have always had to remain confidential, but yep. being able to certify, you can publicly say, well, we've had it checked and to the standard and this is what they said. So you can make some aspects of it public and, and use that as, as a market differentiator. Okay. Um, so during the point of view event, um, one of the panelists, Dr. Angus Young um, from Hong Kong Baptist University, he had, I guess he was talking about the, the Chinese perspective and maybe Asian perspective to broaden it a bit about the attitude that regulators might take towards standards and have taken to, towards international standards in the past. And he suggested that there might be a sort of a distancing. And I think in your part of the presentation, you spoke about there potentially being a bit of a distancing from regulators in Australia as well from the standard. Can you explain a bit more about what that means? It's, it's a little bit like because the regulators didn't necessarily get to play an integral part in developing the standard because it, it is, you know, it's run by the standard bodies in each country and um, they might not feel comfort in endorsing it as a, as a general thing. My gut instinct is because ASIC in the past have made reference to the standards as they existed at, at whatever point in time they write regulatory guides, that yep. they'll use it as a tool, as a reference. Yep. But, you know, because they are often working with the moving feast and to be honest, regulators quite often see behaviours that our member organisations um, don't necessarily engage in, that they won't necessarily embrace um, an international standard uh, as a regulatory tool in the same way, sort of hang their hat on that as the standard everyone needs to be at. I would say that that would be their minimum. Yep. And then they would be expecting better behaviour, if, if that makes sense. So I can understand from a regulator's point of view in, you know, say ASIC or APRA um, or Austrac because it's they've got completely moving typologies and economic conditions all the time. It's not something that they can necessarily tie themselves to. But as Heather Lowenthal pointed out, the ACCC um, has made use of international and Australian standards in the past as minimum requirements. And the ACCC does work with a lot of SMEs and sole traders who are running retail businesses or manufacturing products and doing those kinds of things. So the ACCC may find a lot of use in the ISO standard. Having right. said all that, our, our regulators um, you know, were very supportive and wrote letters of support for taking the Australian standard to ISO. So um, it's not that they're anti-standard, it's that it's a, it goes without saying that it's, it's an absolute minimum 
I think, and then they then they can write their regulatory guides and get quite specific from there. Um, I agree with with Angus's you know take on um, the the Chinese regulators, and I can understand why they haven't embraced it yet as well. This is also the first time it's been a certifiable standard. So previously it was a management standard. It wasn't something that a regulator could yeah. actually grab onto. So we may see a slight evolution in that. We may see it being used as a regulatory tool where we didn't expect it um, because it's not even released yet as a certifiable standard. So that may all change. Um, we have quite sophisticated regulators here and we're tackling probably different cultural and conduct problems than they are in China where businesses are run on um, different cultural understandings. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, obviously you spoke about the, it being potentially a regulatory tool. And I think this conversation we've been discussing how it might be a benefit from various perspectives, but is there a regulatory risk then um, from the way regulators might use the standard when looking at organizations? I don't think they'll use it themselves yeah. to measure an organization against unless it's absolutely obvious. So if for instance, um, uh, your ASIC regulatory guides, you know, uh, a broad, you know, break broad statements like make sure you have adequate resources to um, to run your compliance program. Yep. The um, ISO standard says something very similar, but a little bit more specific. It might serve the interest of the regulator from time to time to make reference to the standard, um, and then it, at other times they'll go to other specifics in there. So. I think that they, there is certainly ways of using it that eliminates the risk. I can't see a regulator ever um, being presented with a certification um, sort of report and going, oh, right, then we won't pay you a regulatory visit if they've had a complaint from a member of the public. So right. I think that they'll be able to mitigate their risk around that. But if you had it and could demonstrate that you had attempted to do the right thing and then get to the bottom of why there there were issues arising yeah. um i think that's a different conversation that you can have with the regulator so i think that there's they won't necessarily be relying on it but i think you can use it as an organization to a greater or lesser degree to demonstrate that you have um made a genuine uh, attempt at building a compliance framework to support everyone in the organisation behaving appropriately and where there is, uh, there is something non-compliant going on, then you can deal with that on that case-by-case -case basis rather than it looking systemic straight away. Right, right. Well, earlier you mentioned um, Heather Lowenthal, who's also one of our directors. Um, and I think she was also giving us a kind of timeline for when um, organizations should be able to see, actually be able to see the standard. And I think it's supposed to be published sometime in July. Is that right? Well, what's happening next is that um, the version that we have is still in a confidential kind of stage because it could be subject to further change. We actually received this week our invitation to participate in our Zoom meeting um, to go through any commentary coming back from the various um, participants on the committee, mm -hmm. and that will be in August. Yep. After that, any, any changes or revisions will go to... Um, and it was originally going to be July, so that's where that timeline was originally. They pushed it back thinking we might be able to get an in-person meeting if they pushed it back another month. Yep. Um, but that's obviously not going to happen. Yeah. 
So um, August is a new point at which any revisions there will go back to Switzerland, be incorporated, and approximately three to four weeks later, we should get a version back that is the one for public comment. Um, now, at that point, unless there is a very, very, very strong public comment coming out about something quite um, material in the standard, that's yeah. almost the version you're going, to, you're going to be working with when it goes yeah. to release. And that'll be open until... Um, I, it would have been November if we'd been meeting in July. I don't know whether they'll extend the deadline slightly on that. Yep. And then again, subject to reviewing those comments, um, seeing whether any are of value to be incorporated, uh, we're looking at um, endorsement in 2021. But you'll see a version later in this year that should be pretty close to the final version. Right. And, and Heather also mentioned that it's up for review in the next five years as well, once it's it's been published. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Every five years will go on this cycle again. Yeah. Um, but it won't be as big a change. This incorporation into a governance suite um, with a number of other standards and the work to turn it into a certification standard and also have all these standards work together to provide um, that overarching governance framework as yeah. well is a really important piece of work and has been quite involved. Um, to date. So next time it will be a little bit more straightforward revision than it has been to date. Excellent. So the last question really, and it's not about ISO this time, I mean obviously the, um, it was the point of view event that sort of facilitated this amazing discussion. So I guess for some members it'll be when is the next point of view event and what m might be some of the possible topics? Look, we were looking to run these a little bit more frequently because as people who've been to the other point of view sessions will know, we were trying to make them a quarterly event yep. um, with face-to-face -face opportunity for networking, but that's not going to happen in the next little while. Not this school term. Um, I, like other parents, is timing everything on school terms. Yes. Um, uh, but we're looking at the next four to six weeks. Um, yep. We will probably be very similar along these themes of the adaptations that people have made because the, the session also went into the adaptations and key immediate concerns for your compliance program with the, sh the business shifts that we've all had to make in operations um, due to COVID-19. So we'll probably continue on that theme and the maturity of those sessions, but our our discussion group the next day on that topic as well was really, really interesting um, and went lots of really interesting places. And there are some great organisations out there who are really looking after their employees and making sure that they're, um, they're very, very well supported during this time. So I was, I was um, a little bit embarrassed that I haven't been, <laughs> haven't been doing any of the activities that they've been doing, but it was, it, was, it was a really interesting session as well. So something along those lines in the next four to six weeks. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Naomi, and hopefully we will have you in the podcast again soon. Yes, thank you. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary. <laughs>